hi. The rules are I'm not giving away the page number. I'm just reading it out. Viet by Charlotte Bronte. Breton. My godmother lived in a handsome house in the clean and ancient town of Breton. Her husband's family had been residents there for generations and bore, indeed, the name of the birthplace, Breton of Breton. Whether by coincidence or because some remote ancestor had been a personage of sufficient importance to leave his name to his neighbourhood, I know not. When I was a girl, I went to Breton about twice a year, and while well, I liked the visits, the house and its inmates specially suited me. The large, peaceful rooms, the well-arranged furniture, the clear, wide windows, the balcony outside, looking down on a fine, antique street where Sundays and holidays seemed always to abide. So quiet was its atmosphere, so clean its pavement. These things pleased me well. One child in a household of grown people is usually made very much of, and in a quiet way. I was a good deal taken notice of by Mrs. Breton, who had been left a widow with one son before I knew her. Her husband, a physician, having died while she was yet a young and handsome woman. She was not young, as I remember her, but she was still handsome, tall, well-made, and though dark for an English woman, yet wearing always the clearness of health in her brunette cheeks and its vivacity in a pair of fine, cheerful black eyes. People esteemed it a grievous pity that she had not conferred her complexion on her son, whose eyes were blue, though even in boyhood very piercing, and the colour of his long hair, such as friends, did not venture to specify, except as the sun shone on it, when they called it golden. He inherited the lines of his mother's features, however, also the, her good teeth, her statue or the promise of a statue for he was not yet full grown and what was better her health without flaw and her spirits of that tone and equality which are better than a fortune to the possessor in the autumn of the year i was staying at breton my godmother having come in person to claim me of the, the kinsfolk with whom was at that time fixed my permanent residence I believe she then plainly saw events coming, whose very shadow I scarce guessed, yet of which the feigned suspicion sufficed to impart unsettled sadness, and made me glad to see, to change scene and society. Time always flowed smoothly for me at my godmother's side, not with tumultuous swiftness, but blandly, like the gliding of a full river through a plain. My visits to her resembled the sojourn of Christian and hopeful beside a certain pleasant stream, with green trees on each bank and meadows beautified with lilies all the year round. The charm of variety there was not, 
nor the excitement of incident, but I liked peace so well and sought stimulus so little that when the latter came, I almost felt it a disturbance and wished rather it had still held aloof. One day a letter was received of which the contents evidently caused Mrs. Breton surprise and some concern. I thought at first it was from home, and trembled, expecting I knew not what disastrous communication. To me, however, no reference was made, and the cloud seemed to pass. The next day, on my return from a long walk, I found, as I entered my bedroom, an unexpected change. In addition to my own French bed, in its shady recess, appeared in a corner a small crib, draped with white, and in addition to my mahogany chest of drawers, I saw a tiny rosewood chest. I stood still, gazed, and considered. Of what are these things, the signs and tokens, I asked. The answer was obvious. A second guest is coming. Mrs. Breton expects other visitors. On descending to dinner, Explanations ensued. A little girl, I was told, would shortly be my companion, the daughter of a friend and distant relation of the late Dr. Breton's. This little girl, it was added, had recently lost her mother, though indeed Mrs. Breton ere long subjoined the loss was not so great as might at first appear. Mrs. Home, Home, it seems was the name, had been very pretty, but a giddy, careless woman who had neglected her child and disappointed and disheartened her husband. So far from congenial had the union proved that separation at last ensued. Separation by mutual consent, not after any legal process. Soon after this event, the lady having overexerted herself at a ball, caught cold, took a fever, and died after a very brief illness. Her husband, naturally a man of very sensitive feelings, and shocked inexpressibly by too sudden communication of the news, could hardly, it seems, now be persuaded that some over-severity on his part, some deficiency in patience and indulgence, had contributed to hasten her end. He had brought it over this idea till his spirits were seriously affected. The medical men insisted on travelling, being tried as a remedy, and meanwhile Mrs. Breton had offered to take charge of his little girl. And I hope, added my grandmother in conclusion, the child will not be like her mamma, as silly and frivolous a little flirt as ever sensible man was weak enough to marry. For, said she, Mr. Home is a sensible man in his way, though not very practical. He is fond of science and lives half his life in a laboratory trying experiments and thing, a thing his butterfly wife could neither comprehend nor endure. And indeed, confessed my grandmother, I should not have liked it myself. 
In answer to a question of mine, she further informed me that her late husband used to say Mr. Holm had derived this scientific turn from a maternal uncle, a French savant, for he, for he came, it seems, of mixed French and Scottish origin, and had connections, now living in France, of whom more than one wrote de before his name and called himself noble. That same evening, at nine o'clock, a servant was dispatched to meet the coach by which our little visitor was expected. Mrs. Breton and I sat alone in the drawing room waiting her coming, John Graham Breton being absent on a visit to one of his schoolfellows who lived in the country. My godmother read the evening paper while she waited. I sewed. It was a wet night. The rain lashed the panes, and the wind sounded angry and restless. Poor child, said Mrs. Breton from time to time. What weather for her journey. I wish she was safe here. A little before the ten, the doorbell announced Warren's return. No sooner was the door opened than I ran down into the hall. There lay a trunk and some bandboxes. Beside them stood a person like a nurse girl. And at the foot of the staircase was Warren with a shawled bundle in his arms. Is that the child? I asked. Yes, miss. I would have opened the shawl and tried to get a peep of the face, but it was hastily turned from me to Warren's shoulder. Put me down, please said a small voice when Warren opened the drawing room door. And take off the shawl, continued the speaker, extracting with its minute hand the pin, and with a sort of fastidious haste, doffing the clumsy wrapping. The creature, which now appeared, um, made a deft attempt to fold the shawl, but the drapery was much too heavy and large to be sustained or wielded by those hands and arms. Give it to Harriet, please, was then the direction and she can put it away. This said, it turned and fixed its eyes on Mrs. Breton. Come here, little dear, said the lady. Come and let me see if you are cold and damp. Come and let me warm you at the fire. The child advanced promptly. Relieved of her wrapping, she appeared exceedingly tiny, but was a neat, completely fashioned little figure, light, slight and straight. Seated on my grandmother's ample lap, she looked a mere doll, her neck delicate as wax, her head of, of silky curls increased, I thought, their resemblance. Mrs. Breton talked in little fond phrases as she chafed the child's hands, arms and feet. First she was considered with a wistful gaze, but soon a smile answered her. Mrs. Breton was not generally a caressing woman. Even with her deeply cherished son, her manner was rarely sentimental, often the reverse. But when the small stranger smiled at her, she kissed it, asking, What is my little one's name? Missy. But besides Missy, Polly, Papa calls her. Will Polly be content to live with me? Not always, but till Papa comes home. Papa has, gone any, Papa has gone away. She shook her head expressively. He will return to Polly or send for her. Will he, ma'am? Do you know he will? I think so. But Harriet thinks not. At least not for a long while. He is ill. 
Her eyes filled. She drew her hands from Mrs. Breton's and made a movement to leave her lap. It was at first resisted, but she said, Please, I wish to go. I can't sit on a stool. She was allowed to slip down from the knee and taking a footstool, she carried, into, she carried it to a corner where the shade was deep and there seated herself. Mrs. Breton, though a commanding and in grave matters even peremptory woman, was often passive in trifles. She allowed the child her way. She said to me, take no notice at present. But I did take notice. I watched Polly rest her small elbow on her small knee, her head on her hand. I observed her draw a square inch or two of pocket handkerchief from the doll pocket of her doll skirt, and then I heard her weep. Other children in grief or pain cry aloud, without shame or restraint, but this being wept. The tiniest occasional sniff testified to her emotion. Mrs. Breton did not hear it, which was quite as well. Ere long, a voice issuing from the corner demanded, May the bell be rung for Harriet? I rang. The nurse was summoned and came. Harriet, I must be put to bed, said her little mistress. You must ask where my bed is. Harriet signified that she had already made that inquiry. Ask if you sleep with me, Harriet. No, Missy, said the nurse. You are to share this young lady's room, designating me. Missy did not leave her seat, but I saw her eyes seek me. After some minutes, silent scrutiny, she emerged from the corner. I wish you, ma'am, good night, said she to Mrs. Breton but she passed me mute. Good night, Polly, I said. No need to say good night since we sleep in the same chamber, was the reply with which she vanished from the drawing room. We heard Harriet propose to carry her upstairs. No need, was again her answer. No need, no need, and her small step toiled warily up the staircase. On going to bed an hour afterwards, I found her still wide awake. She had arranged her pillows so as to support her little person in a sitting posture. Her hands, placed one within the other, rested quietly on the sheet with an old-fashioned calm, most unchildlike. I abstained from speaking to her for some time, but just before extinguishing the light, I recommenced, recommended her to lie down. By and by was the answer. But you will take cold, Missy. She took some tiny article of raiment from the chair at her crib side and with it covered her shoulders. I suffered her to do as she pleased. Listening a while in the darkness, I was aware that she still wept. Wept under a strain, quietly and cautiously.